Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you that you love us and that you are the master of the universe. And I thank you, Father God, that by your grace you have saved us. And it amazes me that you love us so much, even with all of our stuff. Thank you, Father God, for sending your Son. Holy Spirit, stir us up that we would never lose that excitement of knowing that our God loves us and cares for us. Speak to us from your word. Transform us into the people you would want us to be. And I thank you, Father God, that you will speak the words. And these would not be words of mine. In Christ's name, amen. We're continuing our study foundations of the gospel from the book of Genesis. And today's message covers a, a, a very lengthy portion of Scripture and because of the constraints of time, we won't be going through verse by verse. That would take months. The covenant we've seen in these studies had to go through Isaac. So it was initially given to Abraham. Then it, was, it had to go through Isaac. And, and then it has to continue through Isaac's son. And if you remember, Isaac marries Rebekah. And she conceives. And, and she's carrying twins. And she prays about what was going on inside of her, and God answers. Genesis 25, verse 23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you, within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. So before the, the two boys are born, God has made a selection. This is important. God chooses which son will be the chosen one. He chooses the younger one. The accepted practice was for the older son to receive the blessing, but God chose the younger son to continue the covenant. Verse 24, When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. In this culture, at this time in history, selling your birthright was actually a legally accepted practice. 
And in that culture, if you sold your birthright, it was recognized legally. God already knew Esau would rebel against him. God, God knew. He, he knew that, that Esau had a, it was going to have a history of rebelling. He despised his birthright, but that was just one of many rebellious choices. For example, in Genesis 26, we find in verse 34, Esau was 40 years old, and he he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau goes and he marries Hittite, Hittite women. This was against God's plan, and it created problems in the family. Eventually, Esau would take a third wife from the family of Ishmael. If you follow the history of Esau, later, you know, the the lineage goes, and, and so you just follow that whole lineage of Esau's family. There's another great man. We call him great. It's Herod. Herod the Great. Well, what's significant about Herod the Great? He was the Herod that wanted to try to kill the infant Jesus in Bethlehem. Herod was an, was an Idumean, and Idumea was originally Edom, and Esau's rebellious attitude continued then through his family line. So God saw all of this. He also saw that Edom would become a very mighty kingdom at one point. But then in A.D. 70, Edom was, was totally destroyed by the Romans. And it virtually disappeared from history. The story of Jacob and, and Esau is a familiar, familiar one. And it begins with God making this choice. The story of Esau and Jacob. I'll bet most of us have heard it. He wants to have this meal. Uh, Isaac wants to have this meal. And Esau, of course, is the favorite son of dad. Rebecca overhears the request for a meal. and She formulates a plan for Jacob to receive the blessing. Jacob and his mom have this plan. So Jacob goes and gets some goats. His mom cooks them the way Isaac likes. Jacob puts on Esau's clothes and puts goat skin on his arms and hands. The meal is taken to Isaac. Jacob receives the blessing from Isaac. Genesis 27, verse 28. May God give you the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Jacob receives this blessing from his dad. In that culture as well, once the blessing was given, it was binding. Isaac couldn't come back and go, oh, made a mistake. We'll we'll redo that. That wasn't acceptable. It could not be changed. So Esau comes back from hunting, and he finds out what Rebekah and Jacob have done. And he's not happy. Genesis 27, verse 34. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. 
But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Esau said, He is not rightly named, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? That's an interesting statement from Esau because Esau was the one who despised it in the first place. Verse 37. Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all his brothers. I have given him to to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The day of mourning for my father... The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So there's a lot of hatred over this whole thing. And because of that, Jacob's going to have to kind of get out of the way. Isaac knows that, and Isaac also knows that he needs to help his son select a wife. So Isaac tells Jacob to take a wife from from Laban, and Laban was Rebekah's brother. Laban lived in Padam Aram, which is also known as Haran. So uh, Jacob is on his way to Haran. And while he's on this journey, God communicates the covenant to Jacob. So here we see the continuation of the covenant given to the chosen son. Genesis 28, 11. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's the covenant, and it's a restatement of the Abrahamic covenant. The story of Jacob's time then with Laban. So, so here we are. He's, he's had this incredible vision. God's spoken to him the covenant. He's on his way to his uncle's house, and he spends some time there. And, and that's a lengthy part of Scripture, so I'm going to condense it a little bit. He meets, he meets a, a really fabulous young lady named Rachel, and he wants to marry Rachel. Genesis 18, or 20, 29, 18. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years. He says this to Laban. I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than a, that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. 
And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So here's another one of these really neat love stories. But this one gets really crazy. Like, like dysfunctional crazy. Like off the charts crazy. Sometimes I think this through and I go, what in the world? Because Laban, you know, you've got the wedding going on, all this kind of stuff. Laban switches daughters. Well, that's crazy. And Jacob ends up being married to Leah. How does that happen? There, my, my wife sometimes disagrees with me on this, but I dated twins in high school. And my best friend and I dated them. And they were identical twins. And if they wanted to, they could switch. And we found out later, so, so Rod and I, my friend and I, we dated them for, oh, maybe six months or so. You know, it was one of those high school things and went to all the parties and stuff. And it was our senior year and we found out at, a, at another party they were all laughing and the twins were having a blast and they told Rod and I that they had switched and we never knew. We never knew. Of course, we were just dumb high school boys. <laughs> but how do you switch... How do you switch when it's wedding time? This, this, this is just, it's just crazy. And this whole family dynamic, as you'll see, just begins to get more and more crazy as it goes. So, Jacob understands the deception and he confronts Laban. And there's another agreement made. Now look, I came here and I'm, I want Rachel. So there's another agreement, and Jacob works another seven years for Rachel. So Jacob actually ends up with two wives. He's married to sisters. As the story unfolds, Leah and, and Rachel compete for Jacob's affection. But Rachel is barren. And out of her frustration, she gives her servant to Jacob so she can have a son. So the craziness just gets bigger. As this goes on, and there's this competition between these two women and their maids, and, and all this goes on, Jacob ends up with 12 sons. The last of those sons is Benjamin. And this is the beginning of a very dysfunctional family, obviously. Jacob has acquired great wealth while working for Laban. But he's also realizing, i got to get away from Uncle Laban because this isn't working out real good for me, and I really need to get back to Canaan. So he decides to leave. He also knows that if he leaves and he goes back to Canaan, he's going to have to face Esau. And Esau, last time they were together, said, I'm going to kill you. So he's fearful that Esau is going to kill him if he encounters his brother. He begins the journey. And he comes to the river called Jabuk, and he's worried, he's concerned, so he sends gifts to his brother. All these animals and, and property and stuff, he, he sends it to his brother, hoping to appease his anger. And then he sends all of his family across the river on the journey. And Jacob is left, and he's alone. Genesis 32, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. 
Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen the face, seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. I believe this is a, a pre-incarnation picture of Jesus. I believe that the one that, that Jacob wrestled with was Jesus. Wrestling with God. I mean, there's so much here that just plays with our mind. But the big thing is that God chose this man, Jacob, to be the father of the nation Israel. This is the beginning of Israel, the people that God chose. This is the nation that he chose to produce the Messiah. This is also the, the family line, the, the nation that God chose to spread the good news of God's plan for redeeming humanity from the curse of sin. They were supposed to take this, this message of redemption to the world. Here we see the start of the 12 tribes. And from here on, these 12 tribes become the major focus of the Old Testament. Now, in this whole story, which we've condensed this morning, it's true Jacob was deceitful and manipulative. But even before he was born, God knew Jacob would be the child of promise. If you remember last week, we talked about children of promise. We live under a different covenant, and, and as, as we live under that covenant, we are children of promise. Jacob was divinely, sovereignly chosen, not Esau. Esau's life continually demonstrated he had no regard for the things of God. You know, it's, it's a little easier for, for us if we remember that God's outside of our time. So he sees all of, all of history differently than we do. He knew what was going to happen. He already knew Esau's heart. In Hebrews 12 Esau's choice to sell his birthright is an example of ungodliness. So God even uses his disobedience to help us. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls, fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Esau sold his birthright. Esau rebelled against God. Jacob wasn't perfect either. But we've seen that in all the characters that we've looked at in this study. They're not perfect. They lied and they cheated and they did things that you just kind of go, what in the world were you thinking? But God's sovereign choice was for Jacob. In the New Testament, we see this, this, these twins used to, to teach God's 
idea of sovereign election. Now, whenever a pastor in most churches that preach the word says the word election, there are some people who go, don't talk about the election. It's one of those lightning rod statements. Election is a difficult concept, but it's biblical, so we've got to deal with it. And actually, it glorifies God's sovereignty. Look at how Paul uses this in Romans chapter 9, verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done neither good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I love and Esau I hated. We see this used in Romans to show that God's purpose of election should continue. And it's all because of what God chooses, him who calls. Now, this is a difficult place for a lot of people, especially verse 13. It's troubling. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. We do not like to think of God as hating. We need to understand that this has nothing to do with the human emotions of love and hate. This is talking about God. So we have to, we have to remove our understanding of love and hate and not impress on God our abilities to love and hate. The Greek word that's translated hate there, actually it can mean to love less. So in English, it would be very difficult for us to be totally literal. You know, Jacob I loved, but Esau I loved less. So instead, they've used Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's a very, very easy way that we could translate that. The meaning here is that God chose one man over another, but he's been doing that. If we think about this, Scripture could say God loved Abraham and hated every other man because he only chose Abraham. We could understand the same thing with Isaac and Ishmael. God chose Isaac. That's God's prerogative. He is sovereign. That's why it's difficult for us, because we don't like anyone telling us what to do. Remember, brothers and sisters, remember, God perfectly understands every person's heart, and He has the advantage of seeing all of history without the constraints of time. God's choice was entirely based on the success of His purpose. That has to help us understand how great God is and to put our trust in Him. His choices are based totally on His purposes being successful. So the idea of election doesn't doesn't interfere with our free choice either. It doesn't contradict the biblical truth that you and I make choices. 
we are still responsible for our choices. That's what the Bible teaches. And we see that even in this story. Esau was condemned because of his choice of unbelief. Jacob was not condemned because of his belief. Was Jacob a scoundrel? Yeah, on several occasions. Was Esau a scoundrel? Yeah, on several occasions. But Esau rejected God. To be eternally saved, a person must believe. To be, de- to be doomed to eternal hell, a person doesn't believe and rebels against God. It's that simple. No one then, no one that enters, enters hell for all of eternity will be able to say, I don't deserve this. When it comes down to that time of judgment, someone can't go to God. I don't deserve this. They won't be able to do that. Because they made the choice to reject God. Belief saves. Unbelief brings eternal judgment. We are held responsible for our belief or unbelief. But God's sovereignty, His election, remains foundationally in place. God's elect believe. The non-elect do not believe. Now, no one, no one can understand this. Actually, this is one of those places where somebody comes to you and says, I understand how God's sovereignty and free will work. I understand that. I've got it down. They're lying or they're trying to sell you something. It doesn't, it's, it's so difficult. It is hard for us to understand this with our finite mind. It's difficult. The truth is that God is sovereign and the election is there and it works. And at the exact same time, we are held responsible for our choices. It's difficult and it strains our finite minds sometimes to the breaking point. But it's better that we struggle with our thinking and yet accept the truth of Scripture than to rebel against God. Understanding this mystery is really not what's ultimately most important. What is most important is to make the choice to accept God by faith. The reality is that we as human beings cannot fully understand or experience God's love if we cannot grasp that God chooses His children freely based only on His grace and not on anything in us. There is nothing that you or I can do or produce that will cause God to go, yeah, I see what you did. I love you. Our salvation is totally and completely by His grace. Why does He love you? Because He does. That's his nature. That's his sovereignty. I still have to make my choice. That's grace. Nothing I do can earn my salvation. And the love of my Father is so great that no matter what I've done, right, wrong, or otherwise, changes that love. 
if you are here this morning and you love Jesus and you have made that choice for Christ, you are the elect. And that cannot be taken away from you. And it is not based on anything that you have done. That being said, if you've been saved by grace, then God expects you to continue to make good choices for him. Father, thank you that you love us unconditionally, purely, perfectly. You love us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to realize that we do not have to continually work to try to gain your love. I thank you, Father, that because of the blood of Jesus, you see us as righteous. That you see us as the chosen ones, the the people of promise. I ask, Father God, that you'd help us to live our lives every moment of every day, recognizing that you, you have purchased us by the blood of your Son, that you've welcomed us into your family, and that we're yours, based totally on your grace, your love, and your mercy. Thank you, Father, for what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.